who you are defines how you build. This is the Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you by Stanford eCorner. Today, we're delighted to welcome Rudy Klein-Thomas and Andre Iguodala to ETL. What a treat. Rudy Klein-Thomas is the founder and managing partner of Mastery Inc., which brings together world-class athletes, technology companies to create top-tier platform building opportunities. Now, Andre Godala currently plays for the NBA's Miami Heat. For all you Bay uh, Area folks out there, as you know, he's won three NBA championships with the Golden State Warriors. And in 2015, he received the NBA Finals Most Valuable Player Award. So why are these two sharing the bill? Well, off the court, Andre has also been at the forefront of venture capital and technology, and Rudy's been the catalyst for a lot of that. They formed a really unique working relationship that has involved backing market-leading companies like PagerDuty, Zoom, Cloudflare, to name just a couple companies that have also been highlighted at this ETL series. And they both serve on the board of Juma Technologies, Africa's largest e-commerce retailer. Now, Rudy also founded the annual Players Technology Summit with Bloomberg as a presenting partner, bringing together leaders in the technology venture capital, sports communities to discuss tech investing, trends, partnerships, and the future of sports and tech initiatives. And Andre has been deeply involved in that effort as well. So this is going to be a very, very cool story of how two cool dudes find alignment and create massive change together. Welcome, Rudy and Andre. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. It's good to be here. Appreciate it, guys. It's nice to meet everybody. Welcome. Andre, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, enjoying this hot weather, but uh, good to be here. <laughs> uh, you know, I always appreciate some uh, thought-provoking conversations. So, Yeah. Good one. Thank you. Well, we have so much ground to cover. So let, let's get started here, right? So I want to start with how you two connected in the first place. Together, you've made early investments in some really impressive companies. And Rudy, you're also the first person Andre thanks at the end of his memoir, The Sixth Man. So could you both just talk a little about how you met and how you figured out that you were so well aligned? Um, how'd that partnership and relationship get started? Yeah, I'll start the the the, the um the genesis of our of our relationship you know what's funny is uh we never agree on how how it came apart so it would be interesting to see what he agrees with and what doesn't but uh <laughs> we met we met in philadelphia i started my uh, wealth planning firm in philadelphia and um a buddy of mine who went to providence i went to providence college uh, i was a, a couple years older than him he got drafted by the sixers and one of his closest friends on the team was um andre um, he was a client of mine um, and Andre and I, we met casually first. I mean, again, just being uh, around and uh, being not too far in age or what have you. So, and, and also being associated with uh, Herbert Hills, his name, he went to Providence College. Um, and uh, again, we just formed a friendship first. Um, and I used to share a lot of things that I was learning at the time as a tribute to finance um, and shared with Andre. And we always sparked up conversation. Um, and he was, he's a very curious guy. Um, and again, I was learning a lot at the same time and we started learning together um, and then we started working together. I'm not sure if that's the way Andre recollected it, but uh, again, it's been, it's been a while now. Yeah. Andre, uh, how did, what's your side? It's pretty accurate. Uh, just told the story about four hours ago, actually. Uh, 
close friend of mine is visiting and he asked the same question. Uh, he was trying to get some background on different folks he hasn't met, but he knows really well uh, through, you know, through our networking and just communicating. But same exact story. And uh, to go a little further, uh, Herbert Hill, you know, I was giving him some uh, feedback and some uh, constructive criticism on how to maneuver uh, playing ball, how to maneuver off the court. And uh, more than more than uh, enough times, he would say, uh, you sound like Rudy. I'm sure he was telling Rudy the same thing. So uh, it's just that those synergies connected us and, and it's just been, uh, it's been the journey started there. Yeah. So let's get into it, Andre. Um, my guess is that from the second you landed uh, your first big NBA contract, you were inundated and flooded with people pitching you investment opportunities from all over the place. But what drew you to early stage technology investing in particular? What, what was the catalyst and how, that get, how did you get started there? Well, that's a good, good question. You know, you talk about uh, being uh, so many investments, you know, being thrown my way. And when you first get your contract, you know, 20 years old, uh, you know, the investments I see now are a lot different than the investments I see <laughs> being 20 years old. You know, there was uh, everything from barbershops to uh, record labels to, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of mom and pop things uh, from small town uh, mindset where I'm from. Uh, but, you know, Going much further and in, in the sector we're in right now, Rudy really got, you know, it kind of sparked uh, the thought in terms of being a professional athlete. Long story short, you, you hear a lot about the horror stories of guys mismanaging their finances and, uh, you know, understanding where we come from and the lack of financial education that we have. It's, it's really easy to understand why we struggle. And I was like, really says, I'm curious. And, we, you know, he started asking me different questions. You know, why do you get charged this by your uh, private wealth manager? Or why do you charge this percentage, uh, regardless of if, you know, they bring you back 7% or if they lose you 2% uh, on the year in your annual, uh, your annual meetings? And what does everything mean in terms of uh, the information you're getting as far as budgeting, as far as, uh, you know, managing your wealth for the next 60, 70 years of your life, you know, what does your trust look like, all these things. So, you know, we go further and further down the pipeline. We start talking about, you know, uh, you know, how bonds work and how, you know, uh, you know, public equity works in stocks. And from there, it just sparked the interest of opening up a simple E-Trade account. It says open up an E-Trade account, start investing on your own. I'll help you a little bit. And then we'll, you know, depending on the returns, we'll figure out a way to uh, see what I earn. I being Rudy in, in that scenario. And uh, that was the beginning of the journey in terms of having some success in the tech sector and Rudy starting to see uh, it's a lot that goes behind a company becoming public and who will be tracking. And uh, that's when the word private sector uh, came to, for the first time ever, it came to my, uh, you know, it just came to my brain and I said, well, what is that? And once you start peeling back those layers, you start getting more and more uh, interested and, and you start really getting uh, doing deep dives in the space. And, and it's just a fascinating thing that a curious person's mind would love to continue to go further into. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We just got this conversation started and the two of you have already hit on, you know, the number one gold standard principle um, for investing or entrepreneurship. I think in life and it's having a growth mindset and being intellectually curious. So uh, that's just such a reoccurring theme across the board, but, this question's for the both of you. Um, I, I think there's, as you know, a lot of factors to consider when you think about an investment, right? Market size, the founders to the business plan, to the underlying technology and IP and competitive differentiation. But 
Um, do you feel you're both pretty aligned on how you prioritize those different factors? Or do you often find yourselves debating how to vet these opportunities? What's that dynamic like? We've essentially pretty much learned it all together. Again, it's been, I don't know, 13 or 14 years now. Um, and we, we, we came into the sector together and, and we've learned actually together. So, you know, the first thing we did, um, Andre didn't mention this, but, you know, we aligned ourselves with Josh Koppelman when he was in Philadelphia um, at first round capital. So, you know, early I realized, you know, who, who were the players in the space and, and the preeminent um, venture capitalists. And, and then, you know, I essentially wrote to him and or bumped into him at conferences and, uh, you know, aligned ourselves with them first and foremost. So that's that's how we learned the in industry. And, and again, you know, we can we can talk about Jeff Jordan and Andreessen. Uh, we can talk about, you know, Bill Gurley. We can talk about Josh. Those are the guys that really uh, that we learned from super early as to just how to how to do diligence on these companies, what to look for. Um, and again, we, we learned this essentially together. So how we look at companies and how we do diligence is, is pretty much the same. Yeah. Do you guys ever have a different point of view and how does that get adjudicated or is that fairly rare? No, no, we always, we always have a different point of view. I mean, we, we, we have that. <laughs> he like, he'll speak to it, but I mean, you know, we use a, for, for all the students out there, we can use specific examples and we don't mind doing it, but you know, I didn't see Dapper Labs early, you know, uh, whatsoever. Um, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of it. Didn't, didn't fully understand it. And Andre was extremely adamant on, on seeing it and he was really, really excited about it. You know, so that was one where we had a real difference of opinion. And I'm glad uh, I'm glad uh, he, he pushed the pushed the envelope there, obviously. Um, but again, that, that's one one prime example of, of a time that we didn't really uh, we, did, we weren't aligned as to just the opportunity. Yeah. Are there any other uh, insights that you guys feel that you are able to hone in on because obviously early stage investing is really, really hard because there's not a lot of market traction. There's not a lot, there's just not a lot of data to really make a, you know, definitive decision. But, you know, overall, have you guys found in through your partnership and you've looked at so many great companies and made so many great decisions, any reoccurring themes? Yeah, I think uh, for me, the reoccurring theme has just been on, you know, go what you understand. I mean, it's, it's so simple to, to sit back, you know, watch CNBC or, or read the journal or financial times every single day. And, you know, you, you, you know, there, there'll be mention of a hot sector, you know, and then you, you dive into it, what have you. I think we, we knew very, very early of, of, you know, where our, our critical uh, advantage was, you know, as to either who we were exposed to and or Andre's platform or just sports in general. Um, and we really dove deep into those uh, specific verticals super early. Um, and understood where our keen advantage was and just, you know, doing diligence on understanding a company versus the broader market. So you just have to understand where you have the opportunity and, and you, where you have a clear advantage. If not, you're just playing the game with everybody else. And that's that's not an advantage. Right. You know, so um, and then also being specific to a possibly a focus or two, you know, um, you can't spread yourself too thin. Um, uh, it's, it's very important to go deep versus wide. You know, and I think, again, that's that's something that we learned from the guys that, that taught us um, in this business of, of, of how to, how to attack it. So, yeah, I don't know very, very insightful. Yeah. yeah. And Andre, when, do you know early on when you meet a founder or companies presenting to you, whether, you know, do you know kind of early on that something you think is going to click and you're interested, does something happen early on or is it, does it take a while to process all of the um, kind of initial meeting and, and due diligence that you've done? Yeah. I think for me, it's just um, being a professional athlete, has its advantages, 
you really have to be able to uh, try to get a really good understanding of who you're working with. You know, so many trades happening, coaches in and out, uh, being traded, and just having to adjust on the fly, uh, and also using your network. So when I meet a, uh, a founder, you know, it's just trying to get a feel for who they are. Not all do I click right away with, um, but, you know, the more and more time you spend with them, um, obviously getting a better feel for them. Uh, I look for certain things, you know, what is his weakness? Uh, what is his strengths? Like I try to figure that out right away because that's going to help build that relationship. And then at the same time, you know, going back to your last uh, question, you know, uh, what do we look for? It's, you know, I also look to use my network, you know, I spend some time with Comcast uh, Ventures and the Catalyst Fund. Uh, we were doing some due diligence on a few companies and, uh, you know, with me being early, trying to figure out my value within the company and knowing what I know, I used my network a few times to get some due diligence on the companies and do even deeper dives into uh, some investment opportunities. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I had some great networkers, uh, networking and some folks that I knew within that space. This was particularly uh, a space of someone that I knew who uh, was a CEO of a company uh, that was public within the same space that really helped us on the financial planning side. And uh, it, it actually uh, won us the deal. And uh, my partner in crime who worked with me at the time was like, you know, most people don't have the access that you do. And I didn't know that just thinking it was this, I was just thinking this is just, you know, just a regular phone call. And she's like, no, this is something that you can, you know, have advantage over others with, and you got to continue to explore. So uh, trying to build a, a actual relationship with the founders is something I look forward to. It's not simply a, a financial investment or a transaction. It's actually building that relationship and, and building on something that's really we'll talk about later what we're doing, mastering the CEOs that we're, we're getting involved. Yeah, you're going to be with those founders for usually at least 10 years before you kind of see an exit. So a, a relationship's just so critical. Um, hey, Rudy, just um, so we can make our audience um, understand um, what you do, can you explain exactly what mastery is? Like, is it a traditional sure, sure, sure. So, firm or what? Sure, about that. sure. So, uh, so yeah, so um, so mastery started out well when I got out of the private wealth business in 2015. Um, we started the uh, Players Tech Conference in 2016, and I uh, focused solely on, on venture. Um, so I started uh investing in, in SPVs. I've created these SPVs and um, it wasn't just Andre and I, you know, we brought in along other athletes and other LPs. A lot of them were the top CEOs, again, that you guys have surfaced and have been on your, or your platform before. Um, and then, you know, as time went along and obviously we got more exposure um, for our, for our um, investment prowess, uh, family offices have come along too. And, and we're, uh, we're in the midst of um, raising a fund at, currently right now as well, a much larger fund. Very cool. Okay. You're both on the board at the Juma Technologies, which is uh, where you both um, uh, serve on that board and um, maybe less well-known in the U.S. than some of the companies that we talked about earlier on when I introduced you guys. But tell me why you guys are so excited about that company in particular. Well, first and foremost, uh, we're both Africans. So we are, we both have African descent, Andre, uh, Nigeria, me, Sierra Leone. So um, the, the continent is near and dear to our hearts. Um, we were exposed to Jumia through, uh, through Morgan Stanley a couple years back um, as, you know, obviously the fastest growing company uh, in, in Africa. So uh, again, we were quite keen on understanding what they were doing. Um, and then we, just like Andre said, we really built a special relationship with the CEO. 
Um, you know, again, not as just investors, but we built a, a special relationship with him and, and he saw added value, you know, in having us uh, become part of his board, um, not with just our exposure to tech, um, being Africans as well, it's still an understanding the landscape there. Um, and again, you know, just being able to learn and grow with the company. So it's been one of our best experiences that we've had thus far over the last three years, um, being able to travel. Our, our favorite trip, actually, that we've taken recently was when we went to Nigeria um, like a year and a half ago. That was one of the last trips that we took. Um, and we had, a, we had a blast over there. But again, it's, it's going uh, quite well. And again, uh, being, being African as well, too, it means a lot to us. Yeah, that's fantastic. I used to serve on a nonprofit board with Dr. Richard Leakey, and we had many of our board meetings in Kenya, and that was always a, a really, really special trip. So you guys have talked a lot about this network uh, that, you've, that you've built and put together, and that's obviously delivered uh, a tremendous amount of competitive advantage and I think has contributed uh, to a lot of your success. But uh, one of the projects that you're working on together is something called the Players Technology Summit. Um, can you guys tell us how that got started? And uh, how are you using that to your advantage and where do you want to take that? Because that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think um, Rudy came up with a uh, great idea as we were trying to uh, bridge the gap between sports and tech. There, there are a lot of parallels. And um, as you see uh, the streaming wars and as you see um, a lot of the content providers are going to streaming, uh, you're seeing a, a lot of the, um, competitiveness in uh, sports rights. You know, you just look at the NFL deals that just happened and you see uh, Amazon uh, going into broadcast games. You see games being broadcast even on Twitter. Uh, so the, the worlds were just are, are coming together right now. But I think we kind of saw that vision way back when. We actually went to Netflix's office and we had a chance to sit down with Reed Hastings and get a good feel of what he was thinking about. And we, you know, we asked him questions about sports. So our minds were always just working and we saw what our exposure was and we wanted to, uh, the ultimate thing is to bring it back to our players and being unified as one, there's so much leverage there uh, with everything that we do as athletes. And uh, we go all the way into uh, bringing my minorities into the tech space as well. There's so much influence, uh, you know, we're one of the largest, we are the largest consumers on the planet, uh, you know, as African-Americans. Uh, so we, I feel personally feel like, you know, uh, our culture is exploited, but our culture isn't given a seat at the table in terms of uh, ownership and tone in terms of, you know, stakes in these companies. So uh, that's something that has been resonating with us for a very long time, not just within the last year or two. Uh, so what we wanted to do was, you know, bring that gap, bridge that gap and uh, be the bridge for a lot of these players who may not have uh, the understanding yet, but give them the knowledge to understand what we're doing. Uh, come on, the, we call it a platform, the platform ourselves. So what we did was uh, we started with the Player Association uh, with our union, which I sit on the board of, and uh, we, we have different player programs, whether it be um, learning about being a coach or a GM or a broadcasting school, uh, real estate symposium, so many different things. So we wanted to bring the tech side of it to the table. And we, uh, we did it the first year, had some great success, a lot of players, uh, a lot of great energy came from it. So what we did was we took it upon ourselves to, uh, take it outside for, uh, you know, a lot of different reasons that held us back from what we were really trying to do, being that, you know, the union was involved. So we were able to go full scale, uh, branching out with ourselves and, and you know, partnering with uh, someone like Bloomberg. And uh, it's been growing every single year, uh, wall to wall. Uh, we have some, everyone from all walks of the tech space, from entrepreneurs to investors, uh, 
to you know fund managers, uh, the athletes who have started leagues and companies on their own. So players have gotten a chance to see every side uh, of the tech space and understand how, how we can play a part and, and continue to add value to the companies that we invest in uh, going forward or you know whatever they want to learn about in the space. That's fantastic. How long have you guys been um, um, putting that event on? Uh, since 2016. Fantastic. I bet it's been growing uh, by leaps and bounds over the years. Yeah, exponentially. Again, we we weren't sure what we were doing when we started, um, but that's the, that was that's been the beauty of it. You know, and the residue is just seeing exactly you know how we've been able to to scale it and, and build it and, and the brand that's actually created for itself. You know, away from us. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Rudy, this question is for you. Um, since you're connecting so many athletes to opportunities in tech, I'm curious what you're noticing about the nature of professional sports careers. And specifically, do you think that professional sports careers are changing in any important way in terms of the opportunities players are pursuing both during and after their careers? What does that dynamic look like? Yeah, I think that the funnel has gotten a lot earlier. Um, you know, there's kids coming out of school uh, now that they've gotten exposure to some types of business, whether they're reading it um, or what have you, again, it's, it's just different when Andre was playing indoor when I was in school as well, too. You know, so now it's almost like they're they're as soon as they're drafted, they become businessmen or and or have a certain level of business acumen, um, and they're eager to get educated on so many in so many different lanes, um, and they understand that word platform now um, extremely early um, from from almost day one, uh, whereas before, in my opinion. It's, uh, it was only understood by a, a small group of, of athletes. Um, and then also, too, I think what Andre's represented as well, too, is, you know, it, it all depends on the athlete as to what your platform is. Again, you don't have to be a, you know, a 10-time all-star or, or what have you um, to have a platform. Everybody looked at, at, you know, the Michael Jordans and the LeBron Jameses of the world as the only athletes that they can have these platforms. And I think what Andre's constituted is, you know, whether it be putting in the work or understanding what your access point is, you know, um, you can build and, and create a platform. And then most importantly, I think what he was able to absorb that most athletes don't is, you know, being able to, to be a, a conduit for other athletes and bringing them into to your funnel and or on your platform and helping them as well, too, um, only increases your reach and, and, and your um, and uh, and uh, value. So so that's that's I think what's what's differentiated here and what's changed. Yeah. And you said something really, really important, which is providing access and broadening that platform and campaign out. That's what I think is just so substantial and so awesome uh, with the work that you guys are doing. So I, I tip my cap to the two of you. Andre, in, in terms of this conversation of what professional sports uh, career looks like, um, let's dive into one chapter of your book in particular. And you really emphasize the story of a major league baseball player named Kurt Flood and how his push for free agency opened up some fundamental opportunities that professional athletes have today. Can you talk about um, why this story is so important? Well, the story is very important to me. Uh, I was going to my first time being a, what we call uh, unrestricted free agent. Uh, restricted free agent means, you know, the, the current team has the first right of refusal. And it usually takes about, uh, it can take up to eight years, seven, eight years if you're, you know, hiring a player. It's like a football player uh, who keeps getting franchise tagged over and over, you know, which are really offensive linemen and quarterbacks. Uh, they never really hit the free agent market. And the free agent market uh, really opens up uh, not just opportunities, but uh, your first time you're able to get leverage. And 
if you're in the same system or if you're in the same system constantly throughout your work environment, you're, you're never able to really know what your value is. Uh, your value is always going to get downplayed. So what Kurt Flood was able to do was say, hey, you know, I want to be able to have uh, a say so in where I want to work, which is what free markets are. And, uh, you know, without free agency, it's pretty much a closed market. So, you know, your, your pay is going to be less. Uh, you know, from what I hear, from what I've grown to believe is numbers always lie. You know, people say numbers, numbers, numbers tell the truth, but you can make the numbers lie. And you're looking at salary caps, it's a hard, soft cap, but all those things that are put into play, basketball related income, you know, what's a, um, you know, you take basketball related income and you upgrade the arena for concerts, but that's not basketball related income because concerts don't go under the basketball side. So uh, just learning different things like that uh, and learning the actual system uh, as a young player and, you know, people like Rudy, my agents holding me accountable and, you know, learning the uh, collective bargaining agreement, you know, knowing how your, your contract works. And uh, what Kurt Flood was able to do was give athletes an incentive to learn uh, the ins and outs of the business of sports. And so when you're going into free agency, you know, you know, and, uh, you've probably got a couple of teams who you feel like you fit in well with, you know, their salary cap situation, you know, how much money is open, uh, which gives you the uh, best opportunity to maximize your earning potential. Yeah, that's very cool. Let's end, I think, on perhaps one of the most important topics, which is leadership. And I imagine you both get to interact with uh, a more varied set of leaders than a lot of people from coaches to league executives, media executives, CEOs, venture capitalists, and the whole list just goes on from there. Is there one particular trait or behavior that you most respect in leaders you've been able to observe over your careers? And I'm thinking here of traits that our students might want to adopt when they're leading organizations themselves, but also traits they should look for in people who will be leading them, right? So overall, what, what do you guys look for in leadership and what's really resonated with you? I'll go first. Um, uh, Andre's given me the, the opportunity to meet so many influential people um, uh, and, and great leaders of, of, you know, of the world now. Um, and I think that a common thread amongst, uh, I think this is a, a term that's coined so many times, it might be cliche, but it's, it's empathy. Um, Eric actually is, is, is one that we, uh, we enjoy always speaking to him and walk away with just how great of a person that he is and how much thought that he puts into other people. Um, I don't think that, you know, with the motivation of, of profits, right, and, and returns and uh, just the greed of wanting to make more money, I, I generally, generally speaking, again, that's generally lost, right, because we, we have the social pressures to, to make more money or, or to hit earnings, um, when you have an individual that cares about people um, and can take that approach as it attributes to big business um, and then takes the long-term approach as it attributes to business is not worried about the short-term gains um, is a super special trait. Um, again, because the social pressures, whether it be financial or just, again, uh, socioeconomic pressures that we have today uh, at that level, um, I, again, it's really, really special. So those are, those are the two traits I think that, uh, that some of the, the special individuals that we've met um, essentially have and that we've really um, made sure that we've stayed close. And, and if, if I should put some names on it, Doug McMillan's one from Walmart, Eric Yuan is one, uh, Mark Benioff is another, um, that those are, those are the three individuals I think that, that, uh, that have those traits that, that we stay close to. Yeah, I would agree. Those are fantastic, fantastic leaders. And 
uh, do an awesome job. How about you, Andre? Yeah, I just I just had a random meeting with uh, someone I was really fascinated by, African-American man, James Bell, used to be a former CEO of Boeing, and uh, his first African-American on the board of Apple. And uh, I was I was not rushing, but I had to get back to get to this, but uh, he was right around the corner and uh, through a close friend, they were meeting, and I said, I'll stop by for a second. And he uh, was supposed to be there for 10 minutes, ended up being 30 minutes. He just gave me so much, gave me a, a wealth of knowledge, and really talks about uh, empathy, and I was thinking compassion, and you have people who want to see the next generation succeed. So it's not just about the profits. Uh, like Rudy was just, you know, he said it perfectly. You know, there are short-term goals, but there are also long-term uh, goals that are associated with everything uh, that you do. And he gave me just a wealth of knowledge in terms of, you know, uh, how to interact with, you know, uh, within the board seat, um, you know, how to give back. And, and also I think about Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr had a great line for me. Uh, we had the best environment you can imagine in terms of uh, it was just uh, just like innovation lab. So he left it open for us to just use our imagination during practice. And, and that's a pretty structured environment. But he just left it open for us to just go out there and just let loose. And uh, just talking to him one day, he, he said to me, he said, you know, I want you guys to come in and enjoy work like you deal with so much off the court, being public figures and being well known and, you know, kind of the circus that we go through uh, with that run we had. I want you to come in here and forget about it. I want you to just enjoy working hard. And that's something that's resonated with me going forward is build an environment where people really enjoy working, but working hard at the same time. And he, he said something to me that was profound. He said, you know, I'd rather I'd rather have an, an enjoyable working environment where everyone's having fun, working really hard and we lose uh, in the first round as opposed to being miserable and winning the championship. And you have to really think about what he said, you know, because there are other people that think the exact opposite. You know, if you're not winning, then you should be miserable, you know. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we should, we should, you know, these companies are built to, you know, connect each other. And, you know, there's so many cliches that go with our, with the founders and what they're trying to build. And you got some folks who, are just trying to build a profit and other people who are trying to, you know, bring communities together, uh, trying to make, you know, earth a better place. Uh, it's funny. I just finished reading a uh, brief, brief answers to the brief questions by Stephen Hawking. And that was, you know, his purpose of life was, you know, to make a way for earth to be a much better place and, and explore other places just in case we, we mess it up on the way. That, that's such an interesting read. You really are an incredibly well-rounded person and you get your, you roll your sleeves up in a lot of areas, Andre. That's awesome. And I think, you know, you guys touched on a really important point, which, you know, traditional capital markets, I think, have just obviously focused on growth rates, uh, discounted cash flow, multiple off of that, um, EPS. And I, I think you're right. Like the great, the, you know, what a modern 21st century company looks like, you can walk and chew gum. You can be more than you know, one dimensional, you can take care of your employees and your customers and deal with some of the social issues that we have and environmental issues, you can dominate your market, you can deliver, you know, great financial results as well. And I think that you guys are really seeing that and embody that. And um, I just applaud that, that point of view and that perspective on leadership. So fantastic. All right, a whole bunch of questions queuing up in our Q&A here. So let me turn it over to the students. And let me tackle the most upvoted question. And this really goes to both of you. But um, Question starts out like this. Andre um, mentioned that many communities lack financial literacy. 
Have you seen any opportunities to invest in new solutions to increasing and improving financial literacy? Uh, I think I just read something uh, in terms of what Biden's trying to do uh, with our education system. Uh, I think it starts with the funding and education system. And uh, Rudy and I send each other a lot of different articles and content on whether it be uh, finances uh, historically throughout the country. So I uh, just read a piece from Bloomberg in terms of why is such a financial wealth gap and it's getting is widening. It's not the gap isn't closing, but it's widening. And it goes all the way back to, you know, segregation uh, actually uh, helped African-Americans because we were able to build within our communities. And when they desegregated everything, now we were kind of split apart. And that's where we get that. We get that saying, uh, you know, uh, crabs in a barrel, but crabs don't belong in a barrel. And from what I've seen, you know, you go all the way back to redlining and redlining was a way for all the resources and taxes to go to certain places where the land value continued to go up. And when redlining means that's the, you know, red was the bad communities, it was the slums, the African-Americans. And uh, systematically, we've been put in a place where we aren't supposed to level up. It's always tailored for us to level down. So we are continuing to have conversations, Rudy and myself, uh, the different CEOs. We've been with uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, CEO, uh, Zoom calls from time to time. And, you know, we do deep dives in terms of how do we change the narrative. And it's more than just changing the narrative. First, you got to change the narrative, but you got to put action behind it. And you have to uh, not be afraid to continue to ruffle some feathers and say, we got to continue to tackle this. And it starts, uh, you know, with, with public funding and giving back to inner city communities. Also, it was a piece uh, yesterday on the kid who was a chess master. He started at seven and he became a chess master at 10. And it took for him to be found as a chess master to get funding to be able to uh, continue on. And his family was homeless. So he got funding through, you know, GoFundMe accounts to now he's doing fine. But why should it take for you to find a chess master for you to help someone in that situation? So, you know, there's so many kids like that. Fantastic. Rudy, any additional thoughts on that topic? I'm proving no, no, he covered it. I mean, he, he took all my thoughts because those are all the articles that I sent. Well, when you brought up that, yeah, when I read about the chess maps, I was thinking like, oh, Queen's Gambit was so good. I don't think I saw that on, on Netflix. But that was that was so rad. So yeah. Okay. So uh, another upvoted question here. Are you guys seeing any cool new opportunities at the intersection of sports and tech in terms of future platforms or media or distribution or things like that? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I think this is the, uh, this is the new age of, of sports tech. Um, I think that, you know, the sports industry is, had been slow to adopt technology and now it's coming in, in, in all different types of waves. Um, you know, obviously we see it on the NFT side, you know, we see it on the consolidation of markets and the media side as well, too. Um, and, uh, you know, we see it on sports gambling as well, too. Right. You know, so um, these are all industries uh, within sports now that are, are multi-billion dollar uh, industries, you know, sub industries within sports. Fantastic. Andre, any additional thoughts? Uh, yeah, hit on the hit. Um, but yeah. I'll also add, you know, the streaming wars. You know, they're they're, they're fighting and battling for ground and uh, subscribers. And sports is going to play a large role in that going forward. And uh, who's going to be the first one to, uh, you know, bid for rights uh, for you know uh, those main games, those main events? And uh, you got football, obviously, just finished their deal. Uh, and and you've seen an increase 
and, and their uh, rights deal. And I think it will increase with so many different players out there looking for that ad revenue and with sports being that only true uh, live um, content available that brings in a lot of the ad dollars. Yeah. Um, well, interesting. Um, Rudy, you mentioned uh, NFTs and we got a question on that. So Draper or Dapper Labs was mentioned earlier. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, NFTs are an interesting topic, especially the sports world where you see someone like USC's Evan Mobley, um, you know, coming out, declaring his NBA draft with an NFT. In your opinion, what's the future of NFTs? Is it a fad? Is it there? Is it a real opportunity for athletes to um, monetize? Where do you guys see that going? I know it's super early and it's in its infancy right now, but what are your thoughts? Mr. Iguodala is the uh, NFT expert here or what have you. Man. Like I said, I was the one who was, who was cold on it. I'm, I'm hotter on it now, but uh, I'll let him, I'll give him the, the floor. Rudy and I are having a lot of healthy conversations on the NFT space. It can go uh, through to so many different verticals. And uh, on one side, you know, someone who's bearish would say, you know, uh, collectibles go through their fads where, you know, bear bricks and uh, call, uh, Figurines, are, uh, which is the art side of collectibles, um, are at its height. Um, and when, we, when I was a kid, I collected cards. And then it kind of went away for a little bit. And then now it's just exploded back again. And, you know, you're going through different cycles. And is that sustainable, especially in the tech space where you're looking for continued growth constantly? That's the one thing that, you know, investors are looking at. Uh, but on the bullish side, you look at the different verticals that can go down, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, different engagement with athletes and fans. You've never seen engagement like this where, you know, uh, athletes are, it's a more personalized experience as well. And when you break it down to uh, the consumer, you know, they're thinking it's just, you know, a video clip like I see on YouTube. And, you know, you can ask someone if you had gold, you can't take it to the grocery store and buy some food, but you understand uh, its value. Uh, so it's the same thing with uh you know these nfts in, in in the sports space but it is a more personalized experience for the consumer interact with these athletes you're seeing athletes be very creative of uh with the ways they're coming out you're seeing like you just said evan mobley uh came out and also the, uh you saw the basketball player from iowa as well uh saw him doing the nft uh rollout on, on cnbc you don't see many um college athletes on CNBC at all. And, you know, when we first start speaking, you know, how's the athlete transitioning or how's the athlete, uh, athlete 2.0 coming along and you're still starting to see a lot of the tech world uh, and a lot of tech ideas being involved with the, some of the decision-making uh, and, and also uh, how we're thinking about the things we're getting involved with. Also the movie uh, Ready Player One. Uh, that's there you go right there. You know, you talk about the metaverse uh, and, and there's so many different uh, NFT verticals that you can go that route as well, um, especially with the gaming, the video games with these kids. Uh, NBA 2K is the one of the largest um, transactions with our union, with our uh, licensing deal. And a lot of that is the skins, is the kids buying virtual shoes. So uh, it, it goes, you can go further and further and, and you can go through many wormholes and it's a lot of possibilities there. Yeah. I have, I have one more thing to, to yeah. state too, was, uh, again, this is a hot topic for us. Um, Andre has a really close relationship with the SEO of Dapper and, and they go back and forth on this, but you know, uh, 
if anybody has any uh, any students have any has have any uh, keen interest in NFTs or um, theses around it, uh, feel free to email me at uh, Rudy at mastery.vc. I'd love to hear it. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, the future is uh, is going to be based on scarcity. Everybody's rushing to the market, creating these NFTs. Uh, the essence of, of the value of these things was, was based on scarcity. Um, and now that there might not be uh, the as much scarcity. So again, the value of a lot of these NFTs are going to go down considerably. Um, and I think that that remains to be seen as to, you know, again, the, the overall value of the overall market. But, you know, uh, again, super open to to all types of discussions and theses right now. It's it's, it's very much a, a new frontier. So we're, we're interested in learning. Yeah, definitely an exciting space. So uh, let's see here. Next question. We have time for a couple more here. Um, what do you want your value to be at the cap table and or board member? How do sports and cultural leaders like yourself see your impact in the way the business world thinks? This is something new, right? It's not just plunking money and it's taking either a board seat or being a very active investor. And what, what does that bring into a kind of one dimensional, just sort of way investors think about a business and creating enterprise value? Well, I, I think, I think Andre has completely dispelled the, the notion that, you know, athletes um, can't be investors or, you know, and, or aren't thoughtful. Uh, it was, it was quite frustrating early on when we were in the space and, you know, when they were thinking about just athletes and, you know, making reference to Andre and stuff um, that they they assumed that he, he possibly didn't have the busiest acumen to understand, you know, anything that that wasn't applied to the consumer marketplace. Right. You know, so um, I, I we try to dispel that with a lot of the athletes now that come and, and invest, co-invest with us. It's just understanding, you know, what's outside the, the consumer landscape, you know, and, and they get approached by so many of these consumer companies because that's the obvious thing. Like Andre said before, we've made most of our bones in enterprise software and fintech. You know, uh, we didn't do consumer deals for the first couple of years because, you know, we were frustrated and we want to learn something different. But, you know, we got approached by all the consumer companies. Right. So um, first and foremost, is just education. Um, and then also being on the cap table where, where, you know, we're African-Americans, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, the wealth gaps only only increasing nowadays and, and, you know, not enough founders are motivated to have diversity on their cap tables, you know, so, you know, where, uh, you know, where a, a CEO speaks to diversity yet doesn't have any representation on their cap table or on their boardroom, again, is a ma massive, uh, it's, it's hypocrisy. You know, uh, and a massive contradiction. So again, you know, we're we're going out there and, and, and trying to dispel those rumors, and also trying to educate the CEOs and a lot of these companies of, of what the essence of diversity really means, um, because many are speaking to it at a very very surface level um, and aren't really doing what what really makes sense um, uh, as to just you know uh, uh, closing the gap, shall I say, you know, as it attributes to diversity uh, and inclusion. Yeah. Cool. Um, oh, we get time for two final questions, guys. Andre, this this one's for you. This is actually a question that, that I want to ask you um, as we've been having this discussion and learning more about you and Rudy. But in particular, I've worked on some amazing CEOs throughout my tech career, probably most notably guys like Elon Musk at SolarCity and Tesla. And I just look at his ability to span just such a broad area. And you remind me a lot of him. And I'm wondering how you parse your time 
with being an absolute world-class athlete, world champion, MVP um, uh, winner, and then family life, tech, reading Stephen Hawking's and just on like, how do you manage your time and, and uh, how, are you, how are you able to accomplish all of that? Uh, I'm going to be very honest. Uh, I'm still figuring that part out. Um, but I look to, you know, certain figures uh, that I can name drop when I get home too late to my wife to kind of give me some leeway. Uh, yeah. But I think it's just um, really focusing the time, you know, really uh, tailoring your time to be very productive. So, you know, people talk about social media. I try to use it to my advantage. So I'm on Twitter a lot, but Twitter is my, my news source. So and then I, I kind of tailor Twitter to constantly feed me the things that I need to see and not nonsense. So that's helped me tremendously. And that's the advice I give to a lot of the players. And uh, I'm constantly, when I'm seeing certain people, whether it be uh, Eddie Q uh, at Apple or I see Jeff Jordan, you know, I'm always saying, you know, what should I be reading? So uh, like last night uh, we had a three hour flight. And I think that's the beauty of being a professional athlete is that you're, you're on a plane for a good amount of time. So take a good amount of that time to read. So three hour flight, and I've spent like two hours, 45 minutes reading. Uh, and, and But that's just become routine. Sometimes I fall off the wagon, uh, but I try to, you know, keep that discipline to say, let me be as focused as possible. Uh, Rudy is probably one of the hardest working people I know. Uh, I make fun of him. I say he works too hard. So uh, there's a competitive nature with me there with him as well. It's like I can't let him get too far ahead. He's got the, <laughs> he's got the competitive advantage with his uh, degrees, but – uh, there's that competitive in me that I'm gonna catch him one day in terms of knowledge, so I, I can't yeah. go too far behind. So we, he holds yeah. me accountable. Yeah. Well, you're, you've both been just you know. A lot of people say I don't have the time, and you have plenty of time. It's just you're not using it wisely, right? So you got to focus on where what you know what your what your game plan is, where you're going to focus your time. So, all right. Final question, guys. Um, in terms of the convergence of sports plus tech, is there a specific area or vertical where you see the greatest growth potential, i.e. Performance, recovery, fan engagement, VR experiences, equipment, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think? Great question. We can, Rudy and I can, we can debate that now. Um, it, we, we don't really invest too much into sports because it's like, it's, it's very hard to scale. You know, there's only so many people that play basketball that really need to know the metrics of the arc of their shot because how many are going to actually uh, make money shooting it perfectly? You know what I mean? Uh, and then you can go through different sports, but you look at the health space and that's where you have to change the way you think. So, you know, uh, everyone's an athlete, uh, but which athlete are you tailoring to? You know, I think Peloton's done a good job. Of, uh, yeah. They were think, thought of as a hardware company, but they're actually a content company. And uh, you're going into different space. A couple a company called uh, Levels. I don't know, you know, their waiting list is crazy now, but, you know, the blood sugar levels in terms of, uh, tracking uh, actually your actual health and how you should move around life. And then you see Apple putting a ton of money. It's, you know, they're the largest watchmaker in the world now with the Apple Watch, which is a lot of health benefits behind it. So in that particular area of sports, I'm looking at more of the, 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 you know, the healthcare side as opposed to most people would think sports side. Yeah, yeah. Rudy, what do you think? No, I, I, I agree, uh, completely agree. This is a conversation that he and I have had uh, for a while now. Um, and again, uh, I think our, our thesis has graduated over the years where we completely stayed away from it. But again, as Andre said, and he actually 
really pointed it out and figured it out um, how uh, how sports tech has graduated to the mass market. You know, um, we stayed away from it because we didn't see uh, we didn't see the, its scale. I mean, how many how many sports specific companies um, you know are public companies, right? So so we didn't see any exit strategy uh, or upside to it. Um, as a tribute to the other investments that we were making, but uh, again, now that that's definitely changed, um, and 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 the investments that we're making nowadays again um, are focused on sports, whereas before we we didn't at all. So yeah, I mean, let me add the creator the creator economy is coming around right now. You look at platforms like Spotify; they're opening up their platforms for a lot of creators to uh, to you know have more skin in the game. Uh, Clubhouse is uh, putting in a, um, they're putting in something where you can pay the, the, the host directly. So you're starting to see, you know, TikTok obviously uh, is doing it and uh, Twitter just rolled out uh, the competitor for Clubhouse. So that's giving athletes uh, or people of influence, uh, athletes and entertainers, uh, more skin in the game as well. So that space can grow too. Yeah, awesome. Well, guys, I, I can't thank you enough for this really enlightening talk. I think that, you know, my big takeaway is just seeing, you know, this combination of like incredible growth mindset combined with an incredible relationship that you guys have put together and just how well-rounded you are, how deep you are, how focused you are uh, is just um, what a great story. And I just can't thank you enough for your time. I know the students have been waiting for this talk. Uh, all quarter long. So I want to thank you and Andre for a fascinating discussion, Rudy. Thank you. Thanks. The Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series is a Stanford eCorner original production. The stories and lessons on Stanford eCorner are designed to help you find the courage and clarity to see and seize opportunities. Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering. To learn more, please visit us at ecorner.stanford.edu.